Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. The countdown is on, and after a solid victory at Leicester, it's now a maximum of 11 points needed for Manchester City to reclaim the Premier League title. On top of that, City have the lead at the halfway point of a Champions League quarter-final, a position they've never been in going into the second leg of a tie this late in the competition. But here comes a tricky week. Borussia Dortmund's away goal puts that tie on a knife edge, and as Pep Guardiola has said several times already, one of the worst teams to play before that European away trip is Leeds. And that's exactly who comes to the Etihad on Saturday. We'll be assessing everything to with the upcoming week on today's Blue Moon podcast. We'll hear from the Athletics Leeds correspondent Phil Hay on what to expect this weekend. Plus, we'll look at how City's style this season has helped them take control of so many matches. Sam Roscoe will be taking us through some of the most memorable left-back goals after Benjamin Mendy opened the scoring at Leicester. And we'll also work out what City need to do to get the result they need in Germany. I'm David Mooney, and with me this week are City fans Kieran Murray. Hello, David. And Harry Stokes. Hi, David. Thank you, are you both well? Like Harry, first time on the on the show. Are you well? Yeah, all right. Yeah, long time listener, first time caller. Um, <laughs> I'm very, very pleased to be on. Hoping good. to win my um, gold star prize or whatever. Well, it's um, uh, it's been a good week uh, because uh, I mean Leicester and um, and uh, Leeds are the games that we're going to focus on in the Premier League first up. Um, uh, Harry, the big headline from from that Leicester game really was that Aguero and Jesus were both starting together. Uh, obviously, after the news that Aguero was leaving at the end of the season, um, how did they look together? Did you think? Um, I thought that Aguero was a little bit sort of rusty. Um, as you would expect, I suppose. He really hasn't had a lot of games this season. Um, it's frustrating to sort of see him petering out a little bit at the end of what we now know is the end of his City career. I mean, I think that uh, what I was maybe trying to get at is that um, I think it is really important that uh, we give him as many games as possible in the league because, um, you know, obviously Touchwood, etc. the league is, is pretty much wrapped up. Um, and I do think we... We need to be able to rely on him potentially in some of the knockout games later in the Champions League or indeed next week in the Champions League. And um, the more we can get him fit, because he's always been someone who needs to be absolutely at his peak in terms of fitness before you see the best um, of him as a player. Yeah, I mean, he needs 19 goals to to get past the 20 mark for a record-breaking sixth time, I think it is. Um, So, I mean, 19 goals in, what, six games? Tough ask. <laughs> yeah, I, I would su- I would suggest so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Kieran. It's um, when you when you go back to like the morning of that game, well, the afternoon of that game because it was a, it was the late game, wasn't it? Uh, and yeah. the, uh, the 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 lineup was shown. Um, the reaction always seems to be nervous these days. Uh, whatever lineup Guardiola picks, but it just shows the the run that they're on. Whatever he picks, it just shows the the depth that they can rely on right now. Yeah, I mean. There was... <laughs> There was a few people on Twitter kind of losing their mind when the lineup was revealed before the Leicester game at half four. Um, but I, for some reason, I don't know what it is, and maybe it's just the Premier League at the minute because we kind of have confidence that it's going to be wrapped up. But um, 
no lineup really gives me any cause for concern at the moment. Um, Fulham did, I think, because it was playing with the system a little bit. But at the moment, it seems that everybody's biding their time. Everybody's being patient, which I think is the buzzword of the season, really. Um, and no matter who steps in, they seem up to the challenge. Everybody's wanting minutes. And um, because we're involved in four competitions still, you're allowed those minutes and everybody wants to kind of flourish. Now that, now, I think now that we're at the business end, everybody wants to kind of do well in order to be involved in these big, big, crucial crunch games that are coming up. Um, ironically, the one name on the team sheet that I was a little bit concerned about was Mendy, <laughs> which is another kind of bad take amnesty that I'm going to go on here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I put in our WhatsApp group at the start of the game, like uh, the only person who's given me nerves on this uh, on this team sheet, Mendy, and then he goes on to score. Um, yeah, so shut my mouth, really. Well, I, I was going to say, Harry, like he's obviously not in the team to score goals, like. Where do you, what, what do you how do you stand on Mendy at the moment? Just because of you know he's been injured for so long, he's been in and out of the team. Like what 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 does City do with him? It's it's really frustrating because um, you know the player that we signed, uh, you know that we saw at um, uh, at Monaco, um, and then that we saw at first when he first played for City was just blinding. I mean he he really was. Uh, you know the perfect example of, uh, if you want to call it, let's say the modern fullback. You know the attacking fullback, versatile. He's obviously never been a particularly strong defender, but he wasn't necessarily weak per se in defence. Um, and that that player just seems to have, uh, have disappeared over the last couple of years. And to a certain extent, we've changed our way of playing, so we don't need someone like that so much as we used to. Uh, so. He's kind of a, a man a bit out of place in our squad. And um, I would imagine, I mean, I would imagine they'll be looking to move him on or at least um, he's certainly not going to be uh, in the fore, in the forefront of um, Pep's mind. You know, it's not like, yeah. oh, we must get him fit again. Yeah. Um, Kieran, let's uh, let's touch on Riyad Mahrez as well because um, it, it's weird because I, I didn't realise during the game just how influential he was uh, in creating chances for City that day. But in putting the preparation for today's show together, I went back and watched the highlights and he's be, he was behind nearly everything. Yeah, he seems to be behind most things at the minute, really, doesn't he? Um, Mahrez is a funny one because up until about maybe uh, the turn of the year, if he was on the team sheet before a match, you were kind of looking at him going, you know, is he going to have a, an off game or is he going to have a good game? He kind of um, peaks and troughs and flashes of brilliance. But at the moment, he's he's almost first name in the team sheet, isn't he? Um, well, in certain games, I know there's, there's no such thing as first name in the team sheet at the minute because it's like rotation is, uh, you know, is that play. But, um, yeah, he, 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 he offers so much to us. Um, and he doesn't really have a bad game at the moment. He's got quieter games, but um, he's almost at the sort of he's always at the forefront. He's always cut and thrust in and amongst everything good and everything creative. Um, I, I do wish he'd left that one for Aguero, though. You know, with the two of them were chasing it. Yeah. Um, I, I think Aguero probably would have finished that, and it would have been nicer. Um, Mares was a little bit weak on it, and yeah, I, I suppose symbolically that might be a sort of metaphor for you know Aguero will be will be sort of shunted out of those positions now because I mean he's just as as, as Harry said he's sort of petering out and he's and he's on the wane. 
Yeah, um, Harry. It's looking at Mares. Um, and fans get frustrated that that he 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 takes a lot of the shots on sometimes when when other players in other positions would be asked to pass the ball. He's obviously you know he, he's strongest when he's cutting inside onto his left foot. Um, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing though, because because there's there's got to be somebody in the squad who has to take responsibility from time to time for the pot shot, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and and um, you know it can be. A, uh, a criticism. I'm not necessarily making this criticism myself, but it can be a criticism sometimes that we're a bit slow to shoot, uh, and it's good to have someone who really can put in a really nice uh, shot from outside the box uh, that that Mares does offer sometimes. I mean, I have to confess, I've been someone who um, we we're talking about the bad take amnesty. I I thought he was rubbish really when we signed him. I thought it was a well, no, ru- not rubbish, but I thought it was um, uh, an excessive um, price tag. And I didn't think he was necessarily the kind of player we needed. And he obviously has, has shown that to be wrong uh, this season in particular. He's, he's played about 25 games or so in the league, which is more than, apart from any of the defenders and uh, the keeper, probably more than anyone, I would imagine. Yeah, it's not certainly not something that I expected either. Um, we've got to touch on De Bruyne, though, for that uh, that through ball for the second goal, Harry. Um, when it comes to creating like that, there's there's nobody like him. That that through ball was just not on, and then suddenly he made it on. That was beautiful. I mean, it re- it reminded me of um, uh, if I can if I can take the Lord's name in vain. It reminded reminded me of David Silver, the uh, <laughs> the through ball for Jacko at um, Old Trafford. For was that the fifth one or the sixth one? I can't remember, but. It was just the way he threaded it through. That's, it's just incredible. He he's such a quality player. The vision, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, well, he's uh, the news is this week that he signed a new contract, keeping him at City until twenty twenty five. Let's have a quick listen to something he had to say after uh, signing that contract. I've been here now for six years, and obviously this is this is this feels like home. It's been the 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 longest time that I've been at the club is is here, and uh, yeah, you know. To get the extension now at my age feels also like a yeah, very proud moment because obviously it means that they trust me until I get really old in football terms. So, uh, no, I feel really happy and my, my family is also really proud. So that's really, really nice. You know, to be able to, to compete at every cup competition, every title, every Champions League, uh, every cup, you know, to be then do it in the right way for me, do it in the way that we play. Uh, still, yeah, excites me, and you know, obviously, I, I wouldn't know why I would change that. Kieran, um, how does it make you feel to hear him say that he's old when he's thirty? <laughs> it makes me as a thirty-five-year-old feel ancient. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it's it's brilliant that we we're we're seeing him through his peak years and beyond. Um, you get the feeling with somebody who who is just as God-given natural talent, um, the way De Bruyne has, um, you get the feeling that even even when he is ancient uh, and in his thirties, you get the feeling that it, it won't matter a jot, and um, he'll still be firing on all uh, on all cylinders for us way into uh, way into his uh, his his ancient old years. <laughs> um, no, but it, it, what a player! As Harry touched upon, he's he's unbelievable, um, and there were times this year for. A few different reasons. I thought the kind of the smile had gone from his face as he was playing. 
I mean, um, you, you say that, the, the, the Leicester game, he was one of the angriest people I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, well, Amardi should have got sent off, really, shouldn't he? But um, his fists were flailing everywhere, and he caught De Bruyne like two or three different times. Um, so, But I saw you, you had tweeted earlier saying how angry he was, and he was shouting left, right, and centre. Um, he's just a serious man, isn't he? Um, <laughs> and he, he, takes his, uh, he takes the job very serious. As he's got a real will to win. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, Fernandinho, we don't know whether he's going to be sticking about or not, but you imagine De Bruyne is going to secure that armband in the next couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, so I, I thought maybe because the creative burden was on him earlier on in the season when City weren't playing particularly well, I thought the kind of um, the smile had gone from his face a little bit. And then I I kind of thought within myself that maybe this contract thing was bumming him out a little bit and the uncertainty behind it. Um so yeah, I, I know he. I know he was very angry on Saturday, but um, I think he seems to be relishing the joy of playing again. Um, and do you, know, do you know what I mean? At the business end of the season, for him to be hitting the unbelievable strides of form, plus he's now got this contract wrangle um, sorted. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we can we can look forward to some uh, real flashes of brilliance from De Bruyne in the next uh, in the next few weeks and months. Yeah, Harry, I just want to read this. This is uh, an interesting detail from Sam Lee's story in The Athletic about the contract uh, extension. Uh, just a, a simple line that says, After talks with the club's top decision-makers in which the names of City's summer targets were discussed, he's been satisfied that they can continue to meet his ambitions. And that was around the context of, um, basically, he wants to win the Champions League and, obviously, City wants to win the Champions League. Uh, but also, there was the talk last, uh, or certainly at the end of last season, when City were, were, were going all guns blazing for for Messi it seemed uh, there was the talk that De Bruyne wasn't very happy at the idea that somebody like Messi could come in and and just completely shatter the wage structure at City so I, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering does that suggest that maybe the summer targets are not going to be a big name like Messi uh, I don't interpret it like that necessarily I mean I don't I don't necessarily think it's Messi and I personally don't particularly want to sign Messi but the way I interpret that um that phrase from Sam is that uh, we are, it's not necessarily that we're not going to sign big targets, but it's that we're going to sign good players who are going to improve the squad and improve the first 11, which, uh, you know, is naturally something that De Bruyne would be pleased to hear, I would imagine. So yeah, I didn't interpret it in terms of, oh, someone's going to get paid more than me. I interpreted it in terms of, we're going to have players of my calibre alongside me. Yeah. Um, let's touch uh, finally on uh, the disallowed goal uh, briefly from uh, the Leicester game, Kieran. Uh, it was an absolute belter from Fernandinho. Aguero mm. was in an offside position. Uh, you got any grumbles about that one not being given? Uh, not really, no. I, 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 my grumble is that it denied Fernandinho a goal because he's one of my favourite players and it was a, a lovely finish, reminiscent of the, his goal in the derby in the uh, in the League Cup earlier this season. Um yeah, so I was disappointed that he got one chalked off. But uh, and you've seen them given, haven't you? Where somebody's in an offside position. In fact, I think City have um, City have benefited a few times where it looks as if maybe they were obscuring the keeper's view. Um, but Casper Schmeichel kind of ran straight out and, and was saying that he was blocked. Um, I also have a slight theory that it was so early in the game that. Do you know how sometimes referees are kind of like their decision making seems to be influenced by what time the game is in? Yeah. Um, it seemed like because it was so early on, it would have killed and changed and you know 
like altered the kind of game um, as it was laid out. So I think it's he had an easier decision to make uh, to rule it out, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, it was all right because in the end we got the we got the victory. But uh, at the time, it was a bit disappointing because you would have just loved you, you do see them given sometimes, don't you? I uh, I don't think that's what you were like in our WhatsApp group. I'm not going to lie, but uh, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> not to wear dirty laundry in public, but there we go. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. StatCity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. That's statscity.co.uk. Sticking with the Premier League, uh, Guardiola isn't especially happy about facing Leeds in between the two legs of the tie with Borussia Dortmund. So let's get a view on what the mood is like in West Yorkshire. Earlier on, I spoke to the Athletics Leeds correspondent Phil Hay and I started by asking how fans were feeling this season had been going. Delighted over here. Um... There's no other way of putting it. They've budgeted for 17th place this season, as they were always going to do coming up. Um, They they couldn't countenance going down. And you'll have seen the financial results from earlier this week. And I know the losses have been really hefty over at at City as well, um, judging by the last accounts. But in the the final season in the Championship, Leeds lost £62 million. And and even though part of that was bonuses paid um, on the back of promotion, and contractual stuff that was owed to the players and, and the staff. It, the numbers were hefty and it, it, it goes without saying that had they not gone up and had promotions slipped through their fingers, they would have had to have cut back significantly. I think Bielsa would have had to have taken a pay cut. Players would have been sold. I think somebody like Calvin Phillips would certainly have left. And So the, the bottom line for them this season was, was not to go down. But if you remember in the last window, they, they invested around about £100 million in the players that they signed. And the quiet hope was that they would be better than 17th. You know, they they would be more competitive. They would be higher up the table. They would look like they were finding their feet in the competition. And and they they would feel as if they'd taken a first step towards being an established Premier League club again, as opposed to being at risk of of yo-yoing. And the fact that they have stayed up or are going to stay up and the fact that it's been so comfortable means that it's opening the door for you know, forward planning for you know to get the plans in place early for the the next transfer window, but also infrastructure projects like the redevelopment of Ellen Road and the the training ground and the other things that that are all in the background. It's it it really has cleared the way for them to make progress with some of the things that they they couldn't have stepped forward with if they weren't sure that they were going to stay up. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting as well the the effect of uh, of Bielsa and I, and I know from from listening to Guardiola speak about him, uh, Guardiola loves him. Uh, is is it the same the other way around? Oh, it is without question. Um, there's there's this sort of um, it's kind of awkward um, romance between them in which both men want the other to be seen as the genius, and neither wants to take any credit themselves when they when they talk about each other. I mean, there's clearly a, a very good and and very strong relationship there, and and Bielsa is obviously somebody that Guardiola admires greatly. I mean, I've often wondered with Guardiola whether, to an extent, there's a bit of politics here, in that, that it's 
it's easy to praise somebody like Bielsa as opposed to, you know, somebody very close to you um, in, in competitive terms like Jurgen Klopp or Mourinho or, or whoever else is, is you know, on, on a par when it comes to the trophies that you're, you're trying to win. Bielsa is quite benign um, in that sense. But I still think it's genuine. And I think there is a lot of, you know, underlying respect there. With Bielsa and Leeds, I, mean, I would go as far as to say that he is probably the most popular manager in the division within his own fan base. I mean, it, it is now on unanimous popularity at Leeds. You can, if you want to be hypercritical of him or if you want to analyse him and, and scrutinise him closely, there are things you can pick up on, like Leeds' record at set pieces and the goals they concede and, and the fact that they're they're not a perfect team. But you are nitpicking and and you are trying to find fault with a, a coach and a side who, who have been excellent for three years on, on the bounce now. And, and I think it is pretty rare to see a club move into the Premier League and and to have such a smooth and successful transition as Leeds have had. I mean, if I'm being perfectly honest, I felt that they were safe towards the end of December after they beat Burnley and, and West Brom. It, it hasn't felt to me at any stage like they were going to get into trouble um, and, and they certainly won't do now. Yeah, um, Guardiola's also said that uh, Leeds are probably the worst team that he could have wanted to face in between the the, the Borussia Dortmund ties. Um, knowing that that tie is now still in the balance, and you know Dortmund have an away goal, and and, and City have to perform in Germany, um, does that give does that give a little bit of hope about how Bielsa could approach this one and 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 just try and and make it as hard as possible for City? I think he would do that anyway. Um, he, he has a, a very defined style of play and, and he doesn't deviate from it. And, and I know why Guardiola will be saying that. A lot of the games this season, you find that the opposition against Leeds run further than they have in previous games, that the, the running stats um, are, are much higher up the scale um, than, than they are against other sides. And, and, and Leeds tend to bring that out of you. They're incredibly energetic they they do have this habit and this ability to run to the end i um i emailed one of the youth team players academy players um and and arranged an interview with him robbie gotts uh, who is on loan over at, at salford and and he was saying that the the most amazing thing about working with bielsa was the way in which at the same time as asking you to lose weight and get down to you know a very low level in terms of, of how much you do weigh and to, to change your diet and everything else he found that he had more energy and, and he found that he was able to discover that little bit extra that he never realised was there and that Bielsa was able to to bring out of you. So it probably is Guardiola's um, worst possible fixture this. It, as you say, it, it's interesting that the you know the, the tie against Dortmund isn't settled and, and is very much there to be won by both teams because I would assume that Guardiola is going to have to be careful with his team selection and, and I would assume that he will make changes. I mean, he's he's got people like Mendy and Sterling and, and Laporte, um, Torres, even even Aguero, you know, ways of, of mixing it up um, and of keeping the players who will definitely play in Dortmund fresh for that game on the Wednesday. Um, but I mean, the, the, the record has been so good for so long now, City, that equally he, he won't want to throw this game at the weekend. And, and as much as he admires Bielsa, he will definitely want to beat him. And there'll be, be no question about that. But if you go back to the first game that these two had earlier in the season, I always remember at full time, Bielsa sort of crouching down in his dugout and staring at the ground and Guardiola going, going over to him for a, a pretty tired handshake. They, they were both exhausted and knackered by the end of it. And, and I think there'll be elements of that again on Saturday. Yeah, I think that's uh, a lot of City fans worry. I'm not going to lie on that one. Um, the, the interesting thing about this uh, about, about this fixture as well is I look at, uh, at how Leeds are likely to, to try and, and, and press and harry City and, and cause them problems. Do you anticipate that uh, Leeds will have more of the ball than a lot of City's opposition have had recently? 
I think so. I think that's quite likely. I mean, I, I thought that the first game was really fascinating in a, in a tactical sense. You'll remember that for 20 minutes, Leeds really struggled to, to lay a glove on City. And, and Mares was very clever at cutting the passing lanes to Calvin Phillips, which made it pretty difficult for Leeds to, to play out. And I felt that, you know, up until about the, the half hour mark, 25 minutes, something like that, Phillips and, and Mateus Cleek seemed to be a yard behind De Bruyne and, and Foden, who were running the midfield and, and running riot. But like they've done all season, it, it, it was it was good to see Leeds adapt and to kind of work out what was going on. Phillips started to move into different areas of the pitch to get on the ball. Cleek started to become more aggressive. I think it's probably fair to say that guys like De Bruyne and Foden started to, to struggle on the basis that Leeds just kept coming at them. And and it was almost sort of overwhelming the, the pressure that built up, particularly after the second half, uh, the, in you know early part of the second half when when Leeds scored and it seemed to me that it took um, Fernandinho coming on for, for that to um, that game to settle down again and, and you know for Guardiola to tie it up towards the end and, and it was certainly the case that Leeds had a lot of the ball that night and it is the way they play they're, they're very good out of possession but they don't try to be out of possession Bielsa's attitude is always that you defend better with the ball um, naturally you, you score goals if, if the ball's at your feet as well and, and they've been like that um, right from the outset and it hasn't changed in the Premier League they haven't had to put up with with less possession they've been able to dominate in a similar way they've had bad days clearly and they've, they've had bad results mixed in with some some very very good ones but 100% he he'll, he and the players will go to City um, intending to, to get their foot on the ball yeah, and of course, I mean, City have have kind of played the waiting game in a lot of uh, lot of games this season, where they they've kind of exploited the tiredness towards the end of the game and and won games late on. Um, how are Leeds in the in the kind of final twenty minutes or so? Is the is the high energy approach from Bielsa causing them problems in the latter parts of the game, or have they adapted to that now? They they're absolutely fine. Um, they. You'll know about the the burnout myth that follows him around, or the the burnout narrative certainly, which seems to my mind to go back more than anything to to that first season at the Athletic Bilbao two thousand eleven twelve, and and then the the season that followed it. Um, at, at Leeds, it's it's been different. I mean, the, there is there's no sign of any drop off at the moment. Um, they're they're up over forty points. They've they've got thirteen wins. Um, they. Uh, they're still very good at playing to the end, although I would say that we've seen season to season that it's it's got slightly less gung-ho, I feel. Um, you, you would find in season one, Leeds attacking and looking for a second goal in the 93rd minute, even if they were they were just 1-0 up, as opposed to, to running into the corner flag. By no means have they become a run-to-the-corner flag side. And I always think of the, the game away at Everton that they won 1-0, where you had Ian Pervade and nutmegging a defender on the edge of Everton's box and setting up a chance for Helder Costa, which which almost made it 2-0. So they, they definitely have that about them. And they've, they've never shed that mindset. But I almost feel as if... The players themselves have learned a little more how to regulate, um, you know, how to, I guess, better game management when it comes to, to seeing things out. So they won't go away um, on on Saturday. And I I always think back to a comment from Jurgen Klopp on the first weekend of the season when Leeds were at Anfield. And he was saying, you know, with Leeds, it wasn't just a case of them going like that for 70 minutes or 80 minutes or 85 minutes. It was right up to the end of the 95th minute. Um, and and he you know he he looked sort of mildly tired I thought Klopp at the end of that game because it had obviously been very very hard work and and that pretty much set the tone for the rest of the Leeds season. 
Yeah, um, we've got charity bet coming up later on in the show, Phil. I am notoriously bad at, uh, at predicting score lines, uh, so I'm going to hand my bet over to you. What's uh, what's your prediction oh, for this one? Oh dear, yeah, no, I have to say I'm, I'm renowned as a jinx in these parts as well, so <laughs> so this will this will not go well. Um, I would go for a home win. Uh, I think um, I think regardless of the changes that Guardiola makes. Um, they will have enough on the day to to beat Leeds. I think they'll they'll find that if they play well going forward, they'll get some change out of Leeds' defence. Even though I have to say that I feel like we're we're seeing improvement um, in in Bielsa's defence at the moment. But I suspect it'll be tight. I think it'll be tight like like the first game. I, I don't see City running away with this, but um, I would be putting your money on a home win. Let's go for three one. For a pledge of two dollars a month. You can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That was the Athletics' Phil Hay. Um, Harry, just looking at, uh, we're talking about the lineup for for the Leicester game. Um, I, I'm intrigued by what Guardiola is going to do against Leeds because he absolutely loves Bielsa. He's like He'll be thinking about what Bielsa is likely to try and do how he's going to try and counteract it, but also the fact that that Dortmund tie is on the horizon. He's got to rotate his team and keep everybody fresh. This could be a masterclass in, in Guardiola thinking, couldn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, or indeed overthinking to use the uh, pejorative <laughs> that, that is controversial, which I don't share. No, I mean, um, I would hope that we're going to rotate quite a lot. Um, for this for this game, I was looking at Leeds's results recently, and obviously, while they have had a good season and they are a good team, broadly speaking, they've tended to lose to teams in the top, let's say eight or so. They lost to Everton, they lost to Wolves, they lost to Arsenal. I think uh, they had a draw with Chelsea, but generally, they've not actually performed that well against the the best sides. So, I do think that we should feel confident, and um, I would hope that we would rest people. Because yeah. you know the 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 European tie as well might go into extra time, so we should bear that in mind. Yeah, I mean, Harry, is it is it a case simply of those that didn't play on Tuesday should just be much more involved, and that's it? Broadly speaking, yeah. I mean, I'd I'd have to sort of look at the team sheet and think about it in terms of specific names, but yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Kieran. Just on that as well, we're, like we're talking about trusting the depth in the squad. Um, yeah. Does that actually mean that there's not really that much risk in Guardiola picking a change to, a team for this one, as good as Leeds have been? Well, City are just, uh, well, embarrassment of riches clacks in here, but City do have an unbelievably like deep squad um, where even the people who don't feature midweek, when they come in, they're talented enough. Like, I mean, we, we don't really have bad players, do we? Um, we've got some some players who might be um, not, not firing on all cylinders and not at the top of their form. But in the Premier League, we can kind of almost afford to play them, give them minutes, and hope to kind of play them into form. Um, some of them just have a little bit of ring rust, and, and that rotation allows, uh, you know, allows Guardiola to kind of to tinker a little bit and put put, put, put people in. Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, like, I thought some players looked a little bit rusty. I thought Cancelo looked rusty against Dortmund. So, you, you know, you've got the option there to kind of get him up to scratch or, you know, get a little bit of match fitness. So sometimes it's a case of rest. And as, and as Harry says, which is something I hadn't thought about, that the the European game might go into extra time. So we do need a lot of um, a lot of rest for the for the key players who will feature. Um, but it, it might be nice to kind of refresh some players by actually giving them some minutes and getting the match fit too. 
Yeah. I, the, the weird thing is, is that, I mean, Phil expects Leeds to come hunting for the ball, Harry. Um, like the, the thing that I'm that I'm kind of considering is that maybe Leeds will have a lot more of the ball than City's opposition have had recently, just because of how high up they're going to be playing. Uh Maybe. I mean, I think that uh, when teams come and hunt for the ball, that's not necessarily so challenging for us because we're so good on the ball. I mean, all 11 players and even the goalie, well, um, Tuesday night notwithstanding. Um, So that's not necessarily something that would concern me. I think we we tend to struggle more if if, uh, we're um, encouraged you know, to push forward a bit and then we've got a slightly higher line and then there's runners in behind us. Yeah. That would be something that would concern me more. Uh, so the fact that they'll come hunting for the ball is not necessarily such a challenge, or at least it's a challenge we can, you know, rise to. Are there any lessons, do you think, Kieran, from that first game earlier in the season? Um, It's a funny one, isn't it? Because, like, Leicester, uh, the, the first Leicester game of the season, you felt that there were lessons to be learned from that. And I think that our setup uh, at the weekend really did kind of take the lessons that were learned in the 5-2. Um, I, I would like the lesson to be learned this time is to not give Bielsa just as much respect as Pep was. Um, we were at, going through a period at the start of the season when we did meet Leeds where we seemed very cautious um, a little bit tepid. There were injuries. We had no pre-season. There was a, l- a lot of rustiness, um, and a few of the a few of the results had really kind of um, dampened confidence. And it, it really wasn't a good start of the season. Um, so I suppose yes, there are lessons we learned that way. Um, be a little bit more patient. Stop trying to force it a little bit, um, and. Yeah, I, I think step up to Leeds a bit more instead of like um, showing showing Bielsa the great respect that Pep seems to, you know, like just realise that we're the, the, the better team and step to them and step up and uh, yeah, don't, don't, don't give them an inch really, it would be nice. Yeah, uh, well we've mentioned social media a bit already um, and take a look at Twitter during matches and you don't need to have to look far to find supporters who are fretting over the performance even when City have been on this incredible winning run and their opponents have barely got near to Edison's goal. We can't say for sure but if there were fans in the Etihad at the moment it's not hard to believe that we'd all be feeling the same way watching it in person but City have slowly become masters in killing their opposition's chances and winning by beating them into submission. Kieran's been looking more at how a change of style has been providing the results this season. When City lost to Leicester in the second game of the season, Pep Guardiola felt that his team were trying to force things a little too much. They are patient to make us impatient, and this is a big, big mistake. That was how he remembered that game this week, after City had won at the King Power. In that game we learned, after winning 1-0, fantastic goal Riyadh, we became nervous. We want to score immediately. We want to uh, attack uh, uh, quicker than we have to attack. And and we winning 1-0, we give them the chance to let them run. And after we concede three penalties. In this kind of games, in this kind of games, like the opening decide to play deep, deep and, and, and make the contact, you have to be patient. That was perhaps one of the biggest differences between how City approached that 5-2 defeat to Leicester back in September and how they approached last Saturday's 2-0 win. I will wait for you. 
Guardiola explained in more detail how he's getting his team to control games more. Today we're more more calm, more more passes, more passes. Everything is going well. And today, like an Everton game as well, in Everton we won in 82, 83 minutes. So football is like this, it's happened. But we didn't concede almost one shoot on target in Goodison Park. And this is what uh, we need to do in this type of games. Since the turn of the year, City have played 25 matches and they've won 24. In that run, seven of those games were nil-nil at half-time, with the deadlock broken in the second half. It's becoming a trait of this version of Guardiola's City. United, Aston Villa, Liverpool, Fulham, Everton and then Leicester were all comfortable wins. That's not because City bossed the scoreline, but because they kept control of the game and didn't give their opponents a chance. The striker who scored a goal, there's more chance uh, they are going to score a goal when they are in our box. When as much mean as they are far away from our box, they have more less chances to score a goal. It's a question of mathematics. I'm not a mathematics, but I think that is a... It's, if they spend a lot of minutes, a lot of minutes our box, they have a lot of chances to score goals. All the strikers around the world, they want to be there as much as possible. So the best way is avoid them to live there as much time as possible. It was Rodri on media duties before the game with Borussia Dortmund. He echoed the manager's thoughts and, while he was talking about how they would approach that match in the Champions League, he could have been talking about any game that City have played this season. We have to control. I think we... We don't have to change our our way to, of playing. I think we, we have to take the ball, the uh, responsibility, and and of course uh, control avoid contratas and control this this type of players that they're very dangerous with the spaces. But the the key of all of this is uh, if we do a, a good performance in our way and we control the game in our way, I think it would be uh, good for us. With City on such a good winning run and with games being so controlled, it can make some of their victories seem easy. We as fans often get nervous when the team sees a lot of the ball and doesn't score. But then we also wonder what we were worrying about when it's 2 or 3-0 at full time. This was Guardiola speaking ahead of the win over West Ham. He was asked how hard his players were working to make the winning run look easy. With the same system we win as easy as you are a genius and when the same system we lose we are a disaster. So don't listen much honestly. It's never easy. Today the managers are incredible, well prepared. The teams are physicality, mentally and uh, and the ideas they have. Even City's performance against Borussia Dortmund on Tuesday night was controlled. Of course, Dortmund scored late on, and there's sometimes nothing you can do about that when teams have quality players. But still, Guardiola was happy with how his side dictated the tempo. They had a chance from Haaland and a long ball, uh, one to Ruben and John, and uh, Eddie make an incredible save. No more than that. In the same times, we were there, and the reaction after 1-1, one -one, when you can became crazy, we didn't concede one chances, and we and we create uh, corners and free kicks at the end, the incredible assists, the brilliant control from, from Gundogan and the assists from, from, from Phil. So we won the game. We always think of Guardiola's classic City side as a swashbuckling team that breaks quickly. The exciting front three of Sterling, Sané and Aguero bearing down in goal was a sight to behold. But one of those players is already gone and another will be on his way at the end of the season. And with those changes, City have had to evolve. They're taking their time. They're not taking risks and they're passing the ball quickly to force mistakes when concentration and tiredness comes into play later in the game. We were all wondering if Guardiola could reinvent his City team after back-to-back -back titles. The evidence this season is that he's done it already. I'm Clyde Tilsley. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, Barmy and I, Barcelona, all that. Yeah, that Clyde Tilsley. Um, you're listening to the Blue Moon podcast. Enjoy. Mm -hmm.
is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Thanks to Adam at statscity.co.uk for the numbers on this one. He actually went back and filled in some of the gaps in his database so we could work out some of these stats. So uh, we are especially thankful. Uh, Kieran, this is a hunch you've had uh, for for a while now. I remember you telling yeah. me about this about a month ago, um, that uh, City are winning more games that are nil-nil at half-time. Um and it's it is true this season. They've uh, there's been ten games so far this season that have been nil nil at half time. Uh, City have won eight and drawn two. They've not lost any. That's the first time in uh, a Guardiola season that they've not lost a game that's been nil nil at half time so far. Um, and obviously there's still time left in this season. Um, in the, in his previous seasons, the most that 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 games have ever been nil nil at half time was thirteen in his first year. Um, his first year obviously a bit of a. Uh, an outlier because of a, a, a of a transition year, let's put it that way. Um, and when they're when they're drawing games at half time, again this season has their best record: thirteen wins, four draws, and one defeat. Um, so it's interesting how nervous we all get when it's nil nil late on. But actually, City are in control, aren't they? Yes, and I'm really glad that you know the chat that we had has has led to um, Stat City looking into it and kind of. The, the, the gut feeling or the hunch that I had, sort of, you know, the proof being in the pudding there with those numbers. Um, I'm not saying that I don't get nervous at 60 minutes now, um, but there is comfort to be taken in the fact that uh, nil-nil at half time has reaped eight wins and two draws. Um, you kind of do think to yourself that Something about City this season and their patience and their control and how they've slowed things down so much seems to be... And, and I mean, they, we always know that Guardiola's teams are um, built on passing and possession, but it seems that even more so that other teams are just being passed off the park to the point where they're just knackered come about the last 20 minutes. Um, I think su- substitutions have proved to be... Um, to be, you know, a bit more successful lately as well. People are coming off the bench and making differences, um, and something about the last, the, the last po- portion of a game at the moment, and, and we saw it on uh, Tuesday night against Dortmund as well. It really isn't over until the fat lady sings with City at the moment, and and it is patience and control that's keeping us together. And if you if you wait long enough, usually it will come, and it's 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 like really positive and it's yeah it's given me it's given me life to kind of know that i'm not as nervous anymore yeah it's it's interesting as well harry that um i mean the games are kind of following a similar pattern as they were last season except this season city aren't conceding the the only chance that the opposition have on goal and city are putting their chances into the net late on when they weren't last season and you can kind of see how how this how this has been been like the the evolution of guardiola's team from that you know 17 18 centurion side that that was like the swashbucklers with um sane sterling naguero as the, as the front three that it's a lot more controlled at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm not really someone who has a let's say a great eye for kind of tactics and so on. I, I don't necessarily have the, the the greatest insight in these kinds of things. But it is striking, like you say, that there's a sort of um, controlled aggression and a controlled strength, almost like um, I don't know if this is the best metaphor, but like uh, a boxer, the way that the team carries themselves. You can see that it's not this overt sort of um, attacking style that we sometimes saw in uh, that Centurion season. But um, this kind of 
ability to 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 you know to land the killer punch in the you know before the bell or whatever to continue that yeah. quite ham-fisted metaphor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, but I mean also the other side of it is Harry is, is I don't see City as a side that that tries to counterattack in the way that they used to. I think like like Sane used to get the ball and you think right everybody's going to be hairing at goal. And now you see them almost like turn around and 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 knock the pass to a safer option knowing that they're going to have five or six minutes of possession. Yeah, exactly. The 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 count, the, the whole concept of the counterattack is that it, the you know you imagine that the the play is going from one end to the other, or that's sort of contained within the name, and that's not exactly what we do. I mean, it only very rarely occurs that you just have that really fast break. I mean, obviously, the first goal on Tuesday night is a good example, and that comes from a opposition mistake. But more often, it's about creating the play in a way that we want it to go, and sort of managing the whole game, not not just managing the game over the period of 90 minutes, but managing what's actually happening on the pitch at any moment in time. And that's re- it's really, really impressive, I think. Yeah, so the, the question, the killer question now, Kieran, is how how does that tally up to, to Leeds this weekend? Because City might not be able to control that game as easily as they have done against teams that sit back. Yeah, will Phil Hay expect Leeds to come hunting for the ball? I'm, I'm not sure just how much that is going to tally up. Uh, and I think Perhaps that's what Guardiola is alluding to when he's saying he's a little bit frightened of Leeds coming before the Dortmund game because they're going to give us a run for our money. Um, but, I mean, Harry touched upon it already. Um, we are so good on the ball and we are so confident in our, our ability and our possession passing game that, I mean, Leeds might come hunting for the ball, but we are able to pass around that press. Um, and there's... There's no real fear of, um, I mean, we talk about Diaz a lot, don't we, and what he's done. And not only are City not counter-attacking really anymore with that cut and thrust, but I don't think we're getting counter-attacked on as much. Um, it will be interesting to see, you know, what leads are like if they do come hunting for the ball and if they win the ball high up the pitch. But City just seem to have, there almost seems to have just been, like, Guardiola struck upon a formula this season of, like, I think it might be something to do with there being no fans there in that, like, just suck everything, suck the emotion and sentiment out of the game and just do our best on the pitch. It doesn't matter whether we're home or away anymore without the fans. Um, there's no passion and there's no kind of atmosphere. Just, just do it. Um, yeah, and it's 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 intelligence over emotion, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, and it seems I always think about the Leicester game. I always think about the five two, but then I'm sure Guardiola was looking at Liverpool getting beat seven two, and you know, mad um, Man United Spurs game, and just looking and going, this season is going to be mental. Like there's going to be mad things happening this season where teams, big teams, are going to be shipping a lot of goals. So I mean, we talk about and we forget about it now because we're flying so high. But the sort of drudgery of the games in like October, November, December time, where it was just like, I mean, one of the worst derbies we've ever had and seemed to play for a draw against Liverpool as well when we could have had them, you know, had the beating of them. But it was all very much let us control, let us pause. I mean, and I think that's why, you know, players like Gundogan have kind of thrived this season so much in that it's just possession and control and you know, we know our game and we know our talents and our talents are in possession and passing and patience. And if we if we stay that way and keep it that way, um, it'll reap rewards. And I mean, it really, really is on four fronts, potentially. 
Yeah, and the the, the uh, looking at the Champions League now, Harry, because um, obviously we've not really talked about that Dortmund game. Knowing that uh, City have been liking to control games like this, how do you think they did against Dortmund on Tuesday? Uh, I mean, the result is okay. Um, the away goal's a real blow, but um, at the end of the day, you know, a, a win is a win. I do think we go into the second leg in a decent um, position. I was a bit concerned by the chances that Dortmund got. They didn't get a lot of chances, but they had good chances. Obviously, the goal, um, Bellingham's chance, which we're probably going to come on to. And then there was uh, one time when Haaland broke through and uh, Edison made a good save. And that's sort of, you know, they they did a lot with only a small number of chances. I think they had three shots on target. And that kind of, you know, that efficiency, as it were, really underlines the fact they are a good team no matter how they're doing in the Bundesliga at the moment. So we did control the game in the sense of the, having the lion's share of the possession. I think we had about 60% of the possession um, and we had a lot of chances. But it's not... I don't think Guardiola will be as happy with that as as uh, you know as he might have been or as he would have wanted to be. Yeah, well, uh, Harry mentioned it there, the disallowed uh, Bellingham goal. Uh, let's have a listen to Guardiola's thoughts on that. Listen, better don't talk about the referees in the Champions League in this season in the previous season, please. No, I'm not going to talk. I didn't speak in that time. I'm not going to speak now. So we have a, <laughs> a huge list about this kind of situation in this competition. Uh, so that's why it's better... It's better no comment. The referee decides his decision, and, and that's all. Kieran, you get the impression that he might feel like City got away with one there, don't you? Yeah, um, and I mean we did. <laughs> like um, I, I thought, I thought Bellingham, I thought Bellingham's foot landed on Ederson's foot, and you know I thought it looked a bit a bit dodgy, but. Um, yeah, we did get away with one. That, um, that's very much the definition of, I didn't kick him in the head, he headed my foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing. But, like, uh, there was, uh, there was, I think Ederson's kind of action in that moment um, was symbolic of City's sloppiness on the night. Um, there was just so many moments, and we were a little bit, I don't know, I don't know whether we were overconfident or just like just a little bit sloppy and not completely at the races but you know nearly if you include Rodri the kind of like back six as it were all kind of made a mistake I knew Kyle Walker was going to make a mistake at some point because he was the only one who hadn't Um, and And then he stepped up yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so like if I if I didn't have to watch it on a mad um, Arabic stream on my phone, I would have I would have put that in the group. Walker's got a mistake in him here because basically, like Ederson had that mistake, and Stones gave away a dodgy free kick. I suppose Stones had a good game to be fair. Uh, Diaz wasn't usually his usual sharp self. Uh, Cancelo was sloppy. Rodri was sloppy. And then I just thought, you know, Walker's the only one who hasn't really done anything here, so he's going to be at fault somewhere. And then so it came to pass. Um, but yeah, I, I, hopefully. We got the mistakes out of our system in the uh, in the in the first leg, yeah. and um, you you don't you don't see. It's nice actually that there's been that there's going to be two legs of this. I mean, famous last words really, but um, you hope that City will put on a much better show of themselves in the second leg because um, some of the approach just wasn't the greatest on Tuesday night. Yeah, Harry, just looking at um, the decisions as well. I mean, it's it is about time City got away with one, isn't it, in the Champions League? <laughs> Yeah, I mean we've we've had plenty to complain about over the years. 
Um, so I'm not sort of, you know, losing any sleep or feeling uh, so sorry for Dortmund. But as, as Kieran says, it's, it seems like a dodgy decision. Yeah. Um, I mean, I looked up the I looked up the rules. I, I would imagine it would come under playing in a dangerous manner, for which you have to threaten injury to the other player. Uh, in terms of you know your actions risks injury to the other player, I don't really see how that could be the case in terms of um, what uh, what's his name Bellingham did to yeah. Edison. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's interesting as well that Guardiola's. Uh, I mean he, he never comments on referees anyway, so uh, he was never going to start now. But it's interesting that uh, that he still felt that it's uh, uh, the, the need to say that uh, City had a long list of uh, indiscretions in the past. Um, Harry, you mentioned the uh, obviously uh, conceding the away goal. Um, is it important though that that City are taking a lead to Germany? It does change the dynamic slightly, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in a way, um, you know, home. I mean, I've always thought the away goals rule is pretty stupid because it, it kind of came into existence when, you know, I don't know, people didn't fly regularly and, and uh, you know, you didn't necessarily know the food in the country you were staying in or whatever in the 1950s or you were crossing the Iron Curtain or something like that. It doesn't really make that much sense now and it can lead to these really cagey first legs. Um, but anyway, all that aside... Uh, I suppose there's going to be no fans, so it's we don't really have the away disadvantage, so to speak. And if we score a goal, which we're very much capable of doing, then um, you know Dortmund are going to have to score a couple just to get into extra time. So I think we should feel reasonably confident. That said, I think Dortmund are feeling confident too. I went on the um, Ruhr24.de, which is a sort of local news site for the Nordrhein-Westfalia region in, in uh, Germany. And 15% of Dortmund fans, they had a poll there, 15% of Dortmund fans think it was a very good performance and 65% think it was a good performance. So they're, they're feeling pretty happy and confident, which I suppose reminds us that we need to be, um, uh, you know, need to have our wits about us as we go into the, the second leg. Yeah, and I mean, I'd not thought of it that way, but I, but thinking about it, if City were going away to a side that were considered favourites, I would be happy bringing a two-one deficit back because you've got the away goal there. So I'd not, I'd not thought of it that way around. But yeah, you're uh, you're spot on. Um, let's have a listen to to Guardiola uh, talking about how they're going to approach that next Dortmund game. We have an incredible commitment and desire to go through, but now, okay, we fly there with a two-one. And we know what you have to score a goals because they have the quality always to score a goals, always they score. But at the same time, always have the quality to score. We're going to just few things and we're going to go there like we have done the last four, five, six months. We're going to Dortmund to absolutely not defend. We're going to jazz our high pressing. We're going to jazz our build up. We're going to jazz our um, control the, his runners. And uh, yeah, we are going to try to play 90 minutes to try to reach semifinal. Kieran, that's what he says he's planning. Um, they have to play as normal, don't they? That's kind of the lesson that I think he, he learned in that uh, in that first season against Monaco, where he, he took a lead to Monaco. The team tried to hold it in the second leg and it fell apart. They have to just play as if they're playing at nil-nil, don't they? They do, yeah. But it was nice. It was, it was nice that he gave us a clue about how it's going to go on Wednesday. Um, it's going to be better high pressing, better build up, and better running off the ball. And I mean, it, it's. It's good that he's seen those things, um, and it's not, it's not going to be kind of um, a great change in system or a great kind of like uh, Pep overthinking masterclass. It's going to be what we did on Tuesday night, but just better and improved, and hopefully the sloppiness will be cut out. Um, 
you got to think that we were just back off an international break. Um, It was only the second game back, plus there was a lot of changes from Leicester. So there just was a little bit of sloppiness, a little bit of rustiness. These players haven't played together just as much as they had been. Um, in the you know frantic kind of unprecedented uh, fixture congestion of um, of this season so far, this was probably the longest period of time they've had without playing together. So you could maybe let them off a little bit of sloppiness. But I mean, City's away form is amazing this season, and you look at the second leg. You know, Guardiola has has identified things that he has to do better. And um, I don't know just how much of a change of personnel we need because I thought the the, the best eleven probably started. Um, but we just need to tighten up a little bit and um, adjust those three things that he's identified. Yeah, uh, right. Well, we're still on the brink of £1,000 on the charity bet for this season. We're still £5 short after no wins in the last two games. All that money is going to the Christie, which is a cancer treatment hospital in Manchester. And each of the panel is getting a £10 correct score single on City's games from William Hill. Uh, we heard earlier on from uh, Phil that he thinks Leeds are going to suffer a 3-1 defeat at the Etihad, uh, which is 17-2 to and £85 if he's right. Uh, Harry, what are you having for, uh, for the Leeds game? Uh, I think we're going to win 2-0. Uh, that's 11 to 2 and 55 pounds if you're right uh, Kieran 2-1 uh, 2-1 is 7 to 1 and 70 pounds if you're right uh, that brings us to uh, the, the tie of the week really with uh, with Dortmund uh, Kieran where are you going with this one I've gone 2-1 again uh, 2-1 again is 15 to 2 it sees City safely through and uh, it puts 75 pounds into the pot um, I'm going for a bit more of a nervy 2-2 in uh, in normal time uh, which is uh, 10 to 1 and 100 pounds but it will see City through and uh, Harry what are you going for? I think we're going to lose in normal time 2-1 although I do think we'll win in extra time uh, well, I, we can only take the score to 90 minutes, so a 2-1 defeat is 14-1 to 1 and £140 if you're right, and it goes to extra time. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly. If you want to find out more about gambling responsibly, then have a look at begambleaware.org. Now, goals by fullbacks are something that City fans haven't seen too often under Pep Guardiola. So when Benjamin Mendy beat Kasper Schmeichel on Saturday, it was perhaps a bit of a surprise, especially as he did it with his right foot. It got us thinking that there have been some pretty good goals by left-backs at City down the years, and one memorable effort against this weekend's opposition leads. So here's Sam Roscoe to remember some of the very best. Benjamin Mendy was perhaps the most surprising opening goal scorer against Leicester. <laughs> it feels so good, huh? I was so happy. But yeah, for the team also, I think at this moment it was a, a good time to, to score. That was the Frenchman speaking to City TV after the game. It was his second goal in nine matches. Here's what he thought after opening his account for City against Burnley last November. I come from far for the goal, like with a lot of injury and stuff. But yeah, I feel uh, I feel happy and I hope more gonna come. Down the years, City left backs haven't been prolific scorers, but when they've found the net, they've been ones to remember. This weekend, City host Leeds. It was left back Nicholas Jensen who stole the show in the final game against Leeds at Main Road. I wasn't the type of player who scored that many goals, so so the few I scored, I, I remember almost every everybody, every single one, and. And obviously this one was the most spectacular I've, I've ever made, so uh, I remember it quite clearly. Yeah. That was Jensen speaking to the podcast a few years ago about his volley in 2003. We asked him why on earth he decided to take on the shot. I don't know. I don't know. That's, I think that's the type of uh, situations where you you don't think too much. I mean, it was 
it was just coming in in the right pace and the right height and uh, yeah being a left footer I thought it was it was okay to to give it a go and yeah luckily for me it, it went in there have been other stunning goals from left backs too Here's Michael Ball speaking to the show earlier this season about his strike in the FA Cup at Preston. Gerardi, when he hit the was it hit the bar at the post, you know, I was sort of ball watching, really thinking it was going in. And uh, when the ball, you know, came sort of bouncing you know, towards myself, my me, me only uh, thought process was to keep the ball down and just get a sweet strike on it as much as possible. And you know, it always looks better when it goes in off the post, doesn't it? So it was a uh, you know, the first I thought I missed, so it was great to see us sort of hit both posts and go in. City were struggling for goals that season, as Ball explained. Stuart Pearce, you know, come over, give me, put arm around my shoulder, went, well done, go and get another one. And I was thinking, you haven't seen my goal record, <laughs> goal scoring record in the past. So, you know, yet yeah, it was good. Ball definitely meant that strike. But one player who possibly scored by accident is Alexander Zinchenko. It looked like a cross that dropped in at the back post for City's fourth in their 9-0 win over Burton Albion in 2019. Zinchenko, alongside Gabriel Jesus, was asked about it by Sky Sports afterwards. And you scored? Was it your intention? Was that a shot or was that a cross? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little respect there, please. I know he's crossed to me. <laughs> he's denied you a fifth goal then? Yeah, <laughs> I know. He's... To me, the cross. Well, well done tonight. Not surprisingly, Gabriel is the uh, Carabao man of the match. If you'd like to make the presentation, please. Yeah, I thought it was for my goal. As someone who started as an attacking midfielder, fans might expect Zinchenko to pop up with a few goals from left back. There are others down the years who haven't filled supporters with that sort of confidence. Gail Clichy's third and final goal for City was a belter from range at home to Burnley. And it took the Athletics' Sam Lee by surprise. In my mind, I was not just thinking, but I, I said to John Smith, I don't, like, what are you doing? You could see he was shaping up to hit it as he tried to, you know, control it and move it onto his left foot. With it being cliche as well, it's, like, it's the perfect ingredient. It's like the company one, isn't it? Like, you've got no right to shoot from there. What are you doing? Like, pick a better option. Oh, forget that. It's gone in. But it was only at the moment when it actually flew in that I thought, yeah, all right. What do I know? But it didn't stop me doing it with Danilo at Turf Moor a couple of years later. And it probably will never stop me doing it ever again. There are other great goals by left-backs that have caught others out too. Here's the podcast's David Mooney. Garrido against Liverpool. Um, he the, the, the free kick was given outside the box, just on the right-hand side. Uh, and he was the only one stood over it. And the way he was shaping up, I, just, I, I said rather loudly, I, I was sat in the north stand, um, my worry is that he fancies a hit from here and then he obviously steps up and, and pops it in the top corner leaves Pepe Reina hugging the post and that was before we knew he was uh, he was any good at free kicks because I think he popped up against Wolves um, a few seasons later and, and, and did another one um, that even took the commentary by surprise I remember the commentary was was looking at, at Carlos Tevez to take the free kick and Garrido just runs up and belts it into the, uh, into the bottom corner Left backs and free kicks seem to be a running theme as well First, there was Michael Tarnat's effort at Blackburn, remembered here by City fan Richard Burns. Is it about 35 yards? There or thereabouts? It's far enough out that they only had a two-man wall very badly placed. I remember it was pretty early in the game and it was an evening game that was to put us top of the league. Things were going absurdly well, even just three games into the season. Obviously, we weren't going top of the league very often those days, were we? So, And what's what's a bit weird about it is he goes around the inside of the wall and back out across the goal. And so for a wall that is 
I don't know. It just looks odd for him to go around the inside. It wouldn't look as weird if it was a right footer. Then there was Alexander Kolarov, who netted City's first ever Champions League goal with a free kick. The Serbian spoke to City TV. I'm happy for goal, but I'm not happy because we didn't win. But I, I think that it's important that we, we didn't lose the game because it's first game and Napoli was was really good team, the typical Italian Italian team that we told all team they, they defend. There were some fine collar off goals down the years, some from open play too, like the equaliser in a three-all draw against Sunderland in 2012, or the fourth in City's 4-0 win at Bournemouth in 2016. Kolarov also scored a free kick in a Manchester derby back in 2012, but there's definitely a more well-remembered left-back's goal against United. Here's Goal.com's Jonathan Smith recalling Andy Hinchcliffe's bullet header in the game that was nicknamed the Main Road Massacre. Everything about that day was uh, extremely memorable. I think you also sort of chime into watching the highlights back on YouTube and things like that, and just everything about it, the commentary, the movement, the passing, the finish... You know, it was just just the complete, perfect derby goal. While Benjamin Mendy's strike against Leicester may have been a bit of a shock, especially on his right foot, there have been some far more surprising goals by left-backs for City and some absolute belters too. It seems that when City left-backs do get on the score sheet, they're usually worth waiting for. Hiya guys, it's Michael Ball, ex-Manchester City player. You listen to the Blue Moon Podcast. Hear all of our City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was a look at uh, City's left-back goal scorers down the years. Uh, time to finish with uh, some audience questions. Get them in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us via the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. And also, if you uh, go and look on our Instagram profile, just search for Blue Moon Podcast. There's a story on there that you can ask some questions through as well. This week, we start with Marcus on Twitter, who asks, Is it a mistake for Guardiola to be playing down City's interest in Erling Haaland, having made the decision to let Aguero go at the end of the season? Um, so, just in case you missed it, Guardiola had this to say ahead of the game with Leicester when he was asked about potentially spending big on an Aguero replacement this summer. I want to be clear, there is maybe, maybe we're going to find a new player to replace Sergio. Like I said, in terms of numbers, it's almost impossible, but can be possible be replaced. But in terms of uh, what he means for this club, it's impossible. So maybe, but there are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of big, big chances. Maybe we're not going to sign a striker for the next season. So you think there's a good chance that you will promote somebody from within or there is somebody that is ready to, to fill those shoes? We have enough players in the first team right now and we have an interesting players in the academy. So there is a big chance for the situation in the world uh, economic uh, problems in the world football. We are not going to sign any striker for the next season. That was also after the media circus that saw Haaland's agent, Mino Raiola, and his father, Alfie, publicly courting interest in his clients by flying to Spain and seemingly hold talks with Barcelona and Real Madrid. It was also reported that they were to speak to several Premier League clubs this week. It's in the same week that it was announced City had spent £30 million on agent fees behind only Chelsea in the Premier League. And ahead of the Dortmund game on Tuesday, Guardiola was asked about the quality of his opposition and he managed to have this little swipe at those fees. I will not find one single player from Borussia Dortmund without quality. They spend a lot of money for the young, young players and pay a lot of money for the agents to bring these players there to because they have an incredible quality. 
And he was also asked in that same press conference about the chances of City spending a lot on one player. This is what he said. So far, the club had decided not to spend not close 100 million or more than 100 million for one player. Maybe in the future it's going to happen when the club decide it's necessary for improve the, t- the, cl- the team for the next five, ten years for many reasons. Uh, but so far, the, the club, the organization, the CEO, the sport director decide uh, don't do it and, and that's why they didn't do it. But maybe in the future, I don't know. So Harry, taking all that into account, has this week changed your mind about how likely it is that City go for a player like Haaland or Mbappe in the summer? Not really. I mean, I think that um, they were Guardiola is always going to make those kind of non-committal remarks i think it's natural for somebody in the market for something to uh you know downplay their desperation to buy it so to speak anyone who's ever haggled on holiday will remember that <laughs> um so uh whether it's harland or not i would imagine that we are going to sign a striker in the summer i mean i i hope we do to be honest with you so whatever the chances were beforehand i think they're probably about the same now yeah, Kieran, is, I mean, like Harry says, this could just be City making sure that they're in control of everything in this saga. I mean, control is the buzzword of the season, like you say, but it's like like you look at it, you don't want someone like Mino Raiola driving this deal, do you? No, um, and it seems that Raiola and Alfie and Gahaland are enjoying this circus and they're enjoying parading themselves across Europe um, to potential suitors. It's it's irking me somewhat, Um and I don't think City really like to be drawn in to circuses or sagas like this anymore. I'm trying to think of the last big transfer saga that we were involved in. Um, Messy. But like, <laughs> well, yeah, 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 I suppose. Um, but things that kind of drag on um, all summer and the sort of will they, won't they thing, um, that seems to be a real Man United trait at the minute, you know, with Sancho and mm. people like that, who they kind of end up... Um, almost embarrassing themselves over when it seems as if you know the the other the selling team um continually has the upper hand and you know the the transfer target just ends up not not coming um because they're not not willing to budge uh, i sort of thought that you know it, up before pep spoke this week i sort of thought that like um everything that we knew about City was going to be off the table and they were just going to slap down, you know, take whatever money you want. We want Haaland, we're losing Aguero. Um, and they were just going to show Dortmund the money. But when you sort of do think and listen to what Pep said, um, we are principled. I know, you know, rival fans and journalists might not agree that City are very principled, but um, <laughs> we... Um, we, we are sort of principled. We, we've got our own set of values, I think, when it comes to transfers. And people like Raiola are not, they're not somebody we like dealing with particularly. Um, we don't like being used as bait and we don't like being used as leverage, you know, to get more money. And I think I think it's going to end up, you know, with egg on the face of Raiola and Haaland Sr. Because um, they just it's like the goose that laid the golden egg really isn't it i think they're asking for far too much money and everybody can end up with uh, a lot less than what they want and everybody could end up missing out it seems like Haaland might want to come to city is is it's this the team he supports and he seems to have his heart set and working with pep i don't know that's just a gut feeling i haven't read that or seen that any evidence but yeah, i was gonna so say you might need to cite your sources on that one yeah yeah and <laughs> <laughs> um, but you just imagine like he's one he's 
shaping up to be one of the best in the world. He would like to work with one of the best coaches in the world. And um, it seems that City is a fit for him. But the way that his father and his agent are going about things just doesn't seem to be... Um, it, it, I don't see it ending particularly well for anybody, really. And I think City are probably going to miss out if this is the way they're parading him. Yeah. Uh, Harry, do you think Guardiola is also sending the message there that he's not a fan of this of this circus? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I... Uh... As I said before, I think it's partly about controlling the potential price if we do sign him, but it's also it's also about sending a message about the club, as as Kieran said, that uh, we don't want to make a big scene about it and we don't want to get drawn in. We want to sign who we want to sign for a price that we think is reasonable, and I think you know the club wants to have those negotiations, you know, in private, uh, and they'll come to whatever outcome they come to. So I think there's there's also a, a message being sent about the manner in which they want to go about it. Yeah. Do, do, do you think Harry City need to get an Aguero replacement in this summer? They've managed pretty well without one this season. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's certainly not like the situation we had when company retired, where we waited, uh, you know, a season too long to replace him uh, at great cost in a way. Um, the fact that we've sort of slowly weaned ourselves off Aguero as a consequence of his fitness problems demonstrates that it's not as urgent as um, we might have thought it would be a couple of years ago, let's say, if, you, if you'd said that we had to replace Aguero. Um, I don't see Jesus as the sole, as a viable sole long-term replacement. So in that sense, yeah, we need another striker. I guess it could be someone from the academy, maybe, but I'm not necessarily sold on any of the possible replacements. So I would imagine we, we should sign somebody this summer. Yeah, and just to get a direct answer to uh, to Marcus's question, Kieran, is it a mistake for Guardiola to be playing down City's interest in uh, Haaland, given the uh, the decision to let Aguero go? Um, it I don't think it's a mistake. I think Pep knows what he's doing. Um, I I think you know it, it's. It's no secret that we sort of need a striker, and it's no secret that Haaland would be a really really nice fit, but. I think City don't want to be drawn into something that's um, that's out of their control and they don't want to be kind of made to fool of um, over money. Um, but one thing I would say is is that there were two 20-year-olds on the pitch on uh, Tuesday night and Phil Foden was by far and away head and shoulders above Haaland. Um, mm. And it was, it was really, really impressive to kind of look at and see the two of them at the end talking, but Foden had an unbelievable game. Um, I'm not saying that we're going to promote Foden to striker next season or anything, but <laughs> um, just looking at the two of them, it was, it, it was really interesting that you're going to have this big summer saga circus of, you know, hundred million pound plus and then you've got an academy graduate who's you know a local boy who's he's cutting up trees and who set the yeah set the match alight on uh, on Tuesday night. So it's it's really nice that way. I just thought Foden needed a mention really. Yeah, I feel I, I now that I think about it, I feel guilty that we've got to the end of the show uh, over an hour in, and we haven't even mentioned Foden's name, and yet the performance he put in on Tuesday night was phenomenal. So uh, sorry yeah. about that, Phil. It's uh, yeah, <laughs> other other if things no precedent. Yeah, if you're listening, sorry about that. Which he um, definitely will be. Yeah, he loves the club. He loves the show. Yeah, that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and if you've enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and a review, especially on Apple Podcasts if you use that. Uh, if you'd like some more, then we three are talking about the cult icon that is Martin. Dimichelis on this week's Patreon bonus show. The details for that are on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. There you can also find out about ad free versions of the main show too. Thanks to my guests this week, Kieran Murray. Cheers, Blue. And to Harry Stokes. Thanks, David. I'll be back next week to reflect on whatever happens in the Champions League second leg at Dortmund, so I'll see you then. 
was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.